Well, hello, my name is Amy Laughlin, and I am on staff at our Oak Ridge location. So hey to all my Oak Ridge peeps, miss you guys this morning. Uh, but I am so honored, and it is such a joy for me to spend this morning with you today as we are wrapping up this series. So not too long ago, I was in our kitchen cleaning up from dinner, putting some dishes away, when I suddenly dropped this large glass bowl. And it was as if it just exploded on the floor on impact. And there were shards of glass all around me. And I looked down and I am barefoot. And I'm thinking, great, how am I gonna get myself out of this mess? Well, this memory, this image has continued to come to my mind throughout this series. As Pastor Jonathan has been walking us through what it looks like when we are in repair, what does it look like when we are in a season of brokenness and we are partnering with God in our healing process? Because we all experience this. We all face brokenness at some point in our lives in some form or fashion. Sometimes we drop our own bowl. It's a mistake that we made or a series of self-destructive choices that leave us hurting. And other times, someone else comes along and just smacks that bowl right out of our hands and our pain, our hurt, are due to someone else's actions. And then other times, it's just life. Life happens, and the bowl is shattered, and we are left broken. Yeah, we, we all experience this in some form or fashion. None of us are immune. Well, fortunately for me, at least on this day, I wasn't home alone. My husband, Chad, was in a room nearby, and he heard the crash, and he came running into the kitchen, and he saw the predicament that I was in, and he said, don't move. And I said, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere right now. And so he walked out, and he came back a moment later. He had his shoes on, and he stepped into the shards with me, bringing me a pair of shoes, helping me to put it on, put those on, and then we began to clean up the mess together. And so for today's purposes, we are going to shift our focus. We are going to take on Chad's perspective from this scenario. What does it look like for us to step into the shards with other people when they are in repair? What does it look like for us to connect with each other when we're hurting? Well, before we take a look at what God has to say about this, I think it's important for us first to have a little bit of self-awareness. Because if we're honest, I think most of us actually hesitate to do this. We resist walking with others who are hurting. We could probably come up with a whole list of reasons why we do this, but let's just go over a few. I think one reason that we hesitate to step into those shards is simply because it's so easy to remain on the perimeter. It's so easy to step right up against the edge of the mess without actually stepping into it. And I bet you know what I'm talking about. Social media is a perfect example. We're scrolling through Facebook and we notice that a friend is going through something difficult or challenging. And so we post a comment and let them know we're praying for them. And then we kind of keep going. Or maybe we hear about a friend who's going through something hard and so we send them a text and say, hey, I just wanna let you know I'm praying for you. Now hear me. Those things are important, those things have value. There is nothing wrong with doing those things. But sometimes we're called to do more than that. Yeah, 
Social media, technology makes it so easy for us to stay just on the edge. Yeah. Another reason we may hesitate to step into the shards, maybe we're afraid that we just don't know what to say. We haven't walked in their shoes. We haven't experienced a similar circumstance. And so maybe we feel like we can't relate to them. Or it could be that we're thinking about a time when we were experiencing brokenness and someone said something to us that was helpful that actually made us feel a whole lot worse. (laughs) But at the same time, we've all been there as well. We all do things and say things that we wish we hadn't. We all know what it tastes like to have our foot in our mouths at times. But yes, I think because sometimes we're so worried that we are not gonna know what to say or we're worried about saying the wrong thing that we choose to just say nothing. Yet another reason we hesitate to step into those shards is because it's costly. It's costly. It is going to cost us something. It will cost us time. It may be inconvenient. We may have to rearrange our schedule a bit to meet someone for lunch or to take dinner to someone. It's going to be costly. It may be uh, that it costs us our time. It's going to cost us some energy. But I think more than anything else, it's going to cost us pain because it hurts. It hurts. It is impossible to step into the shards with someone who is experiencing brokenness without taking on, without feeling some of their pain. And most of us are pretty pain averse. We try to avoid it. Maybe we are concerned that their pain is going to remind us of some of our own pain that we would rather forget. Yeah, we, we may resist going to a funeral because it reminds us of the time that we were on the front row of the funeral of the person that we love. Maybe we're concerned that their pain is gonna remind us of one of our greatest fears or worries. We hesitate to meet a friend for coffee who's going through a divorce because we're concerned that that may make our own marriage feel pretty vulnerable. Yeah, most of us are pain averse. We have this self-protection instinct about us, which is a good thing, of course, but unfortunately, sometimes that can prevent us from really stepping into the shards with other people. But fortunately, God knows. God knows exactly how we are. He knows that this is our tendency, and so he offers a lot of encouragement for us. So I want to highlight some words from the Apostle Paul this morning. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and the words that we're going to look at are from the book of Galatians. And this book actually started as just a letter, a letter that he was writing to the early Christians that were forming in the city of Galatia. And this is how he's encouraging them. Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. In other words, help lighten each other's loads. Step into those shards. Connect with each other when you're hurting and you're in pain. Carry each other's burdens. And I love that he doesn't end the sentence here because he knows we're gonna ask why. Why is this important, Paul? Well, he goes on to tell us, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we don't have a lot of time to travel this trail, but I think it's really important for us to pause here and remember the context of these words. He's writing a letter to the early Christians, keeping in mind that most of them grew up Jewish. Most of them, all of their lives, all they have heard is the law of Moses. The law of Moses, the 613 laws that comprise the law of Moses. And now all of a sudden, they're hearing about the law of Christ. And in order to fulfill it, we carry each other's burdens. This was radical. This was extraordinary. I can only imagine maybe just this hush that fell over the crowd when this letter was read to them. Maybe there was even just some audible gasps because this is an incredible contrast to what they have been used to. Such a contrast from the law of Christ and the law of Moses. But even still today, even still today as Christ followers, we try, <laughs> we try to turn the law of Christ into this list of do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts, and that may be why some of you are resistant to follow Jesus to begin with, and I can understand that. But Paul is clearly telling us here, no, to fulfill this law, we carry each other's burdens. This is extraordinary, just to show how incredibly important it is. But what exactly is he referring to here? This phrase, the law of Christ. Well, he's referring to the new, the new command that Jesus gave when he was here. And luckily, John recorded this for us. He quoted Jesus as saying this, a new command I give you, to love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. You see, Jesus didn't just come to tell us to love each other. He came to show us. And so I want to take some time in a story of the life of Jesus, just to reflect this. Some of you may be familiar with a family that he was close to. In fact, it was described that he had a very loving relationship with this family. It was a group of three siblings. Lazarus was the brother, and he had two sisters named Mary and Martha. Now, you also may be familiar with the most, one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus performed when he was here. When he rose Lazarus from the dead after being in the tomb for four days. But where I want to actually spend some time is in the scene just prior to that. Just prior to this miracle, he has an interaction with Mary. Fortunately for us, the disciple John was there. And he gives us his eyewitness account. He first explains that, that Jesus and the other disciples are out of town for a while. And they've received news. And so they're coming back into the town of Bethany where this family lived. And so we're just coming onto the scene. And here's where I want to pick it up. Here's where John picks it up for us. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, if you're like me, especially if these words are familiar to you, you may gloss over these words, kind of like how I just read them. But I want to pause for a moment and encourage us to really imagine ourselves on this scene. Imagine ourselves shoulder to shoulder with John. We are an eyewitness. We have just come into this town, and here comes Mary. She is approaching, and she collapses. See, here's what we know about Mary. Her brother has been dead for four days. I imagine that she has not slept well in four days. She probably hasn't had a decent meal. And we don't even know how long prior to that Lazarus was sick. But I can just imagine, I could just imagine Mary sitting at her brother's bedside until his final breath, hoping, praying that Jesus is going to arrive in time to save her brother. And so now, suddenly, we're at this scene, and we know that Mary is absolutely physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually so exhausted that she can't even hold herself up. And so I imagine it sounded a whole lot more like, Lord, Lord, if you had only been here, I would not be broken right now. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died Can anybody relate to that? John goes on and explains that when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I don't really know why John chose those words to describe Jesus. Was there something in his body language that caused him to choose these words? We're not really sure. But obviously, with Mary weeping and her crying out to her Lord to the point that Jesus is moved in spirit and troubled, this is an incredibly intense scene. It is chaotic right now. Maybe even to the point as we're here and as eyewitnesses, we're getting pretty uncomfortable with this. Maybe trying to step back a little bit because it's incredibly intense. Jesus asks them, where have you laid him? Referring to Lazarus. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The Son of God is weeping. This is no delicate tear rolling down a cheek. No, this is full-on, uninhibited, raw, real, gritty emotion on full display. And we don't typically use this word weeping in our culture anymore, so I think of the word just sobbing. You know, that sobbing, that that full body release of grief and despair, sobbing. And I don't know about you, but I typically don't put myself in a position willingly that I know that I'm going to be sobbing in public. Because we know that just after this, 
Just after this, Jesus instructs them, roll that stone away. And he calls Lazarus by name out of the tomb. He raises him from the dead. And so all of this leaves me begging the question, why? Why? Why did Jesus allow it to play out the way that he did? Because you see, he didn't have to. He didn't have to. It makes me curious. Why was it that as soon as he made eye contact with Mary, right then and there, why didn't he say, wait, my dear friend, Mary, wait, you don't have to cry anymore. I'm here to turn your mourning into joy. Watch this. It's going to be amazing. But that's not what he did. Instead, we see him willingly, intentionally, purposefully putting himself into a position where he is deeply moved in spirit and troubled to the point that he himself is weeping. So why? Far be it for me to make any assumptions of what's going on in the heart and mind of Jesus. But perhaps, perhaps he was wanting to show that he is close to the brokenhearted. Perhaps he was wanting to show us what it looks like to carry each other's burdens. Perhaps he was wanting and to model for us what it looks like to step into those shards. Face to face, eye to eye, meet someone where she is in her brokenness to model that for us. Perhaps. But what? <laughs> what does this mean for, for us? What is this supposed to look like for you and for me when, when someone that we love is broken and hurting? How does this translate into our own lives? And some of you may be worried, like, great, this lady's going to tell me I've got to start sobbing in public. No, that's okay. I'm not going to tell you that. That's not the point. But I do think that we have a tendency to overcomplicate this. We have a tendency to make it a whole lot more difficult and, and a little bit nerve-wracking than it needs to be. Because you see, stepping into the shards with someone who is hurting really is quite simple. It can be as simple as this. How are you? Hey, how are you? And typically in that moment, we've got to pause for a moment and give that person some time to give us the safe answers. Those safe answers that they're used to giving. Oh, I'm hanging in there. You know, one, one day at a time, I'm just taking it day by day. And that's when we follow up with, okay, but how are you really? How are you really doing? You see, that communicates to them, hey, I'm not here for your surface level answers. I am here to create a safe space for you. I'm here to just meet you where you are. And sometimes, right then and there, they're going to take us up on it, and they will enter in. And other times, they may circle back later. 
But the important thing is that we are communicating to them, this is a safe space, exactly where you are right now. And then if, when they take us up on that, at that point, we listen. We just listen without judgment or answers. We listen. Remember, earlier we talked about one of the reasons that we may hesitate to step into the shards is because we are worried that we don't know what to say. But this is the good news. We are better off, they are better off when we don't say anything at all. We just listen, just as Jesus modeled with Mary. But that also means that we suspend judgment. We suspend judgment, even if they broke their own bowl. That means we don't walk up to them and say, well, you know, what you could have done, and you know, I tried to warn you, or I saw this coming, or too bad that you didn't. No, they don't. They don't need that from us in that moment. They probably already know. That also means that we resist the temptation to give answers. Oh, and Christians, wow. We have the best of intentions, but we can be so bad about this sometimes, right? We give those trite answers. Well, you know, he's in a better place. God, God has a plan. You just got to have faith. And hey, while those things are true, it's not helpful when we come at them with that or with advice or answers. Well, here's, here's how you got to clean up this mess. Or here's what your next step needs to be. No. See, we have to earn the right to be able to give advice. And we earn the right by providing a safe space, by just listening. You see, every time we bring judgment to the table, every time we try to bring answers or quick fixes to the table, then we no longer have a safe space for that person. Yeah. What we're really talking about here is empathy. Empathy communicates the incredibly healing message of you are not alone. You are not alone in this. Empathy communicates you are seen and you are valued. Empathy communicates, I am so sorry that you are facing this. I wish you weren't. I wish I could fix it too, but just know I am here. Empathy. Sometimes we hesitate to step into the shards because we're worried that we can't relate because we have not been in their place before. We haven't had a similar experience. But here's the great news about empathy. It's about connecting with the emotion, not the event. Empathy is about connecting with the feeling, not the circumstance. So you, you've never experienced a divorce or a difficult breakup, but you sure can identify with intense disappointment. So go ahead, step into those shards, connect with that person. Maybe you don't know what it's like to bury a child, but you understand incredible grief. So you can still step into those shards. You can still help carry that burden. Maybe you've never experienced a season of joblessness, 
But boy, you can identify with a grip of fear. So get off the perimeter. Ask them how they are. Create that safe space. And students, maybe you've never been bullied, but boy, you can sure know what it feels like to just feel lonely or embarrassed. So go ahead. Go ahead, help connect with that person. Help them where they are in their pain and their brokenness. This is what empathy is all about. Empathy is connecting with the emotion, not the event. That's what it looks like to carry each other's burdens. And notice that Paul phrased it that way. It's carry each other's burdens. It's mutual. This is a mutual thing. There is a give and take to this. There is a receive and share. It is mutual. And it's as if I can just picture this beautiful web of connectivity because of this. Because she's sharing a bit of his burdens while he's sharing a little bit of his, and I'm sharing a little bit of hers, and it's this amazing web of connection for us because it's mutual. But here's something that Paul understood, something that Jesus understood is that the the carrying, the sharing isn't the only thing that is mutual. The, The surprise gift in this is that helping heals. Helping heals. You see, it doesn't only help the person that we are walking alongside of. The gift is that the natural, the organic result in this is that Jesus begins to heal us in the same process. You see, helping heals when we allow God to take our painful circumstances and use them as connection points to meet someone where they are in their brokenness. Helping heals when we allow God to take our broken hearts and transform them into broken, open hearts. Hearts that are broken open with compassion, grace, and mercy. Hearts that are broken open to be able to express hope and healing and unity and dignity and love. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what this looks like for you. But maybe there's been someone that has come to your mind. Someone that's coming to your heart. Because we all experience brokenness, because we are all in repair, it's not difficult to find someone, to know someone in your life that is hurting. And maybe, maybe you are the who. Maybe you are the who that they are in need of right now. Maybe you are the who that God wants to use to help them in their healing process. Maybe it's a neighbor that you know is going through a difficult time, someone that you work with, someone that you are in school with or connecting with at the gym, someone that's in your family or extended family, a friend. Maybe it's someone that you serve or volunteer with, someone you're here at church with. Maybe you are the who. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to keep an open mind about this because notice what Paul didn't say. 
Paul didn't say, carry each other's burdens as long as you agree with that person. Paul didn't say, carry each other's burdens as long as they didn't ask for it. Paul didn't say, carry each other's burdens as long as they look like you, or love like you, or vote like you, or even sin like you, or worship like you. No, he said, carry each other's burdens, period. Because here's something I believe he understood. Something that we understand is that pain is an equalizer. Pain is an equalizer. See, pain and brokenness and loss and grief, it has this uncanny ability to strip us to our core, to the core of who we are, to the core of who we are to the point that that gender, that race, that politics, that even religion don't matter. We're just human. To the space where we can relate and connect to each other at the most real level possible. You see, pain doesn't discriminate and neither should the healing. Nobody understood this like Jesus. Nobody displayed this like Jesus throughout his life. He showed us when he connected with Mary in her her brokenness right where she was, but he displayed it more than anywhere else on the cross. He displayed it on the cross. You see, this is the good news. This is the great news about the cross is that he didn't only take our sins upon himself to the cross, he also took our shards. Every single one of my shards, every single one of your shards He took them upon himself to the cross. As if he's just stooped down and picked them up one at a time. That shame and regret, that addiction, that broken relationship, that diagnosis, that sickness, the depression, the anxiety, the fears, the questions, the doubts, every single one of them. It's as if he just scooped them all up to carry them upon himself to the cross. He has the scars to prove it. And it is that message, the message that he sends us from the cross of hope, of healing, of reconciliation, of restoration. And it's because of that message, because of Jesus, because of the cross that we are free. We are free, we are called, we are able to step into those shards, to get off the perimeter, to connect with each other when we are hurting. Because every single time that we do, we are reflecting the cross. We are expecting, ex- expressing to each other the hope, the healing, the love of Jesus every time we help carry each other's burdens. That's the beauty of it. Can you imagine? Just imagine, imagine the healing that can take place inside of our homes. Imagine the healing in our communities, in our church, within ourselves. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Will it be inconvenient? It will. Will it hurt? Yes. But will it be worth it? Absolutely. It'll be worth it.
be worth it. Luckily, we have a God that is going to help us. He just wants a willing heart. So in a moment, as I begin to pray us out, I just want to encourage you to have an open heart, an open mind as to who, who God may be wanting you to connect with in their healing process right now. Let's ask him to help us. Father God, we love you. Oh, thank you for your son. Thank you for his life. Thank you that he didn't just tell us. <laughs> he did not just tell us to love each other, to carry each other's burdens, but he was the perfect image of that. He came to show us. God, open our hearts. Help us to have open hearts, soft hearts, open eyes to know what this looks like for every single one of us, because it'll be different, it'll be unique. So meet us where we are. God, help us to just give our broken hearts over to you and trust you to transform them into a heart that is broken open, a broken open to a place that it's not wasted pain. Use our pain, God, use it. Use it as connection points where we can meet each other where we are, where we can love each other and reflect the message of the cross, reflect the hope and the healing and the restoration that Jesus brings us. Give us your wisdom. Give us your courage to follow through. Don't let us leave it here. It's in your perfect son's name that we pray. Amen.